Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. My name is Ryan. I'm Seth. And I'm Jesse. This is episode number seven of this fan podcast about the show Mad Men. You can find us on the web at madcast.net. Also look for us on iTunes and Facebook if you look up Scotch and Smokes. For this episode, we'll be talking about the Mad Men episode, Lady Lazarus. Does anybody have any initial comments before we roll into the discussion? Yeah, I have one. I just like the fact that so many of the topics that we've been talking about each week seem to come to fruition on these as the season goes on. I mean, we've been saying that Megan, or at least I've been saying that Megan has most, if not all, the power in the relationship between herself and Don. And boy, does it show this week. Yeah, I think this was not as strong an episode as some of the others we've seen this season, but still enjoyable. All right, so let's roll ahead. We can start with the fact that the show began with a familiar scene, the train where Pete is there. He sees this guy who, from the very beginning of the season, has basically been telling him things aren't going to be the same in your married life. And we find out that he, of course, has his own things going on. And this sets up Pete's whole story for this episode. Well, of course, Pete seems to be unlucky in Let's put it, that I was going to say he's unlucky in love, but he's not. He's very lucky in love. He's got a wonderful wife. He's unlucky in extramarital love. I mean, he tried to get that girl at the driving school. He didn't get her. Tries to get Beth here, who's Howard's wife. Howard, of course, is cheating on Beth. And he tries to get Beth, and Beth initially goes for him and has, has a fling with him as a way to get back at her husband, whom she knows is fooling around. But Pete wants more. Pete wants a long-term affair, and Beth does not. Beth wants a quickie, a one-off. And it's back to the theme that women are feeling their oats, feeling their power, feeling their liberation to a certain extent at this point in history. And it's sort of encapsulated in this affair with Pete and Beth. Actually, it's not an affair. Pete wants an affair. It's just a one-timer. And too bad for Pete. He should go back to his wife. He's got a great wife. My first thought was, I didn't know a new tie meant you had a new mistress, you know, in an apartment. I did not quite understand that connection. That was just a funny moment to me. The other thought is, Pete always wants what he can't have. Instead of being grateful and happy that, I mean, he got to sleep with Roy Gilmore, for God's sakes. (laughs) You know? And he's married to Annie from Community. I mean, she's he's got a good life. But it's never enough for him. If there ever is a character that is never sated, it is Pete Campbell. But isn't that sort of linked into what Sterling Cooper Draper Price are doing? Their job is advertising, and, and advertising's job is to make all of us feel like we don't have enough. We've got to buy this, or we have to subscribe to that, or we have to get the latest this or that. Yeah. And and that's sort of Pete's life. Yes. He wants not a quickie. He wants a long time affair. And, you know, I'm like, why do you want the extra headache, Pete? (laughs) What do you make of his idea that women get to choose everything and they're in control? And how does that relate to the other relationships and stories we're seeing, particularly Don? Well, I mean, we saw a couple of episodes ago that Trudy was laying down the law at, at, at the Campbell residence, even though Pete, you know, wants to be the big shot all the time. She was saying, I forbid you to do this. I forbid you to do that. So, yeah, I mean, we saw hints of that in their relationship right there. But, of course, women don't 
determine everything. At that point in history, I didn't think I don't think women determine everything. I mean, they're still second-class citizens at Sterling Cooper Draper Price for the most part. I mean, Peggy is still an oddity. She's the exception, not the rule. And then, of course, we have this really interesting play with Christina Hendricks, who plays Joan. And whereas Joan is sort of firmly rooted in the old camp, at least professionally, not personally, but professionally, credit Matt Weiner for not making his characters just black and white. Joan personally is not in the old camp of women. She's not a traditional woman. She kicked out her husband rather quickly, which is certainly not a traditional thing for women to do in those days. So it's kind of interesting that she is professionally is in the old school and personally is in the new school. I agree. I mean, I do think the only thing is that Joan, when she was involved in the previous firm, she was doing some kind of TV work, right? That she well, was, she was watching she, the episodes, and she was really yeah. good at it. And, she helped out Harry at one right. point. You're right. Yes. And she, and it was taken it, away from her. Yes, and so she kind of understands her place. And I do agree with you in a lot of ways. Her foots are firmly in the old roles of women, and Peggy is trying to push this boundaries. I do think it was very interesting, Peggy and. Joan's discussion about Megan leaving because Peggy's like, well, of course she's married. She has a rich husband. Why wouldn't she leave? Peggy feels like I've pushed her to leave because you know, why don't you love this? You're good at this. Why wouldn't you want to do this? We also saw that Megan's father, you remember he dressed her down and said, Hey, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing advertising when your heart is in something else? And, and we remember that her heart is sort of in acting. We've got that in earlier seasons. And here she's going to go out and give it a try. Anybody want to talk about the first thing that happens after Megan leaves? And that is Don looks into a, an empty elevator shaft. Is, yeah, is that, that obvious? Or I took an obvious thing out of it. That's such a signature beat of the story that it could be interpreted so many ways the whole narrative comes to a screeching halt at that point. Like, things are going on. Right. Pete's having this. Megan's doing that. And then all of a sudden, the elevator opens. He looks down, and there's a chasm of it's quiet. Everything just stops. Sound stops. Motion stops. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> and yeah. there are many things you can take from that. I mean, is he looking down into an abyss of things? Is it like his, is his mortality? This is the life insurance episode. Was he that close to... Dying? I mean, is her path going down, speeding away from him, and he's still on the floor of the agency? I mean, there's many things you could take into it. I don't know which one they really intend for you to take away, but they probably say, well, this is something that we can wrap up, and it's a big burrito. There's a whole bunch you can take out of this. Yes. Take a pick. And it's the rule of play that, right, if there's a gun in the first act, someone needs to be shot in the third act, right? So (laughs) is this a – and then you think of the famous – L.A. Law episode, yeah. the one yeah. everyone hated, you know, fell in an elevator shaft. The way I looked at it was kind of, I'm afraid, kind of prosaic. Since it was the first thing that happened as soon as Megan left the office, I mean, he was ostensibly trying to run after her, right? Right. Um, now, what was he going to say? Was he going to say, come back, you can't leave? Or was he going to just wish her luck? Or, I don't know. Or was he going to say, I miss you? I just took away from that that he... 
he's looking into an abyss at Sterling Cooper Draper Price without Megan being there. I mean, he's he said he's not as charged up about work. Cooper last week told him so, that he's drifting. So he's looking into the future at Sterling Cooper Draper Price without his you know wonderful wife being nearby him, and he's looking into an abyss. And coincidentally or not, they talked several times in this episode about the first photos of Earth from space right. and how people were getting, at least Americans were getting their first, first look at the, at the abyss, the depth of the universe and the vast blackness of space. And that was giving everybody, or some of them at least, a kind of a, a pause for what else is out there and how insignificant we are, I suppose. And I'm thinking maybe the look into the elevator shaft is somewhat related to that. I don't know. So a lot of things there to discuss. And because this is a period piece, there are things that I find amusing, you know, like the phone having to be dialed, you having to go to a pay phone, you know, other things. But I was really surprised that the idea that this picture of the earth which is now a pretty common i mean you see this all the time a shot of the earth from space was so unique to them that that had never happened i was a little surprised that it would affect people that much because it is so much part of my life or my being that you know yeah we know what the earth looks like it's a big blue ball you see this image all the time and they were all how did it affect you what did you think when you saw this and it just for some reason i thought that was really kind of a cool peek at their mindset back then well look i mean the thing that's great about watching period pieces and watching old films one of the great things is to see how the, the culture has evolved right peggy olsen having a child out of wedlock was a I mean, it was a terrible, terrible scandal in those days. Now, today, you have the child and you go on with your life. In those days, there was a very real possibility that you would never go on with your life, that you would be shunned and ostracized as whatever, as a single mother. It's just an ethic that, that doesn't exist today, in this, in the, at least in the United States. That's one of the fun things about uh, Mad Men and, and watching old period pieces, I think. I agree. So you're talking about Megan and her leaving and Don kind of going after her. How do you feel about his reaction to her saying that she wanted to leave? He was upset at Peggy for, in his mind, chasing her out. So he did want her to stay. Is, oh, yeah. So is her leaving bad because, and this is the way I kind of took it, is because it kind of reminds him in a way of Betty and how Betty was a model and maybe in his mind that's sort of um, superficial and does he consider her acting pursuit to be just not as, I don't know, important or as uh, something that's worthy of uh, her intelligence or, and does it set up for him a slow disinterest that begins to accumulate much like it did with Betty where he doesn't feel like he has someone who is a peer intellectually or in terms of things he can discuss because that's really what he seemed happy about in the beginning of the season. Here's my theory, and I don't know if it's a true one, but it's at least how I viewed it, is young love. When you are fairly newly married, 
you have these interests together. You do things together, and you really want to spend time together. And, you know, now then I've been married over 20 years, and my wife and I have a lot of different interests. She has no interest in genre TV. She doesn't understand this podcasting thing. Why would you want to talk about this shows? And But she runs marathons, does mountain biking. And so we have separate interests, yet a, still a strong friendship and bond and love. I think Don, every time, like, she didn't love the Arn Sherbert. Mm-hmm. He wanted her to love the Arn Sherbert because he loved the Arn Sherbert. He wanted her to share this because he honestly loves her and he wants to make, like he told Pete, if I had had what you had to begin with, I would not have thrown it away. Mm-hmm. And he thinks this is a true love. He can make this work. And every time she doesn't love something that he loves, it's like he doesn't get this music. When did music become important? And she's giving him the Beatles Revolver album, which we do need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, what's this crap? <laughs> you know, everything. And now then she doesn't. She's so good at advertising. Why wouldn't you want to do this? They are drifting apart. And he's worried. Is this a sign that this marriage is going to work either? At least that's my theory. Right. Yeah, maybe. I just thought that, I mean, he loves to have her around him all the time, around him at work, around him at home. It's also a possibility that if she's not around him at work, she can't keep tabs on him. Right. This was Betty's right. problem. This was Betty's problem. I thought the power in the relationship derived from the fact that Megan was at work, and she knew Don as a, as a drinker and a philanderer, and she could keep her eye on him at work. And now she won't be able to, and obviously we saw in that last scene, she's going out for, I guess, uh, acting classes at night when he's coming home. And then we see how empty Don's life is there. He listens to the Beatles record, and he doesn't really get much out of it, and he turns it off, and he walks into an empty apartment, which is kind of what he had before, except this apartment is much brighter inside um, and much nicer. And occasionally, I guess his wife will be home with him. But so, Empty um, apartment, yeah, empty he, elevator shaft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I just think that he loved having her there. I think it might be all those things. I think it might be he wants her there. I think maybe he does recognize that having her there is sort of like, if she's here, then I will not you know, stray. stray. I mean, if she had not been in the elevator when Andrea had a couple episodes had, yeah. had come in, and I mean, what would have happened then? And, you know, exactly. Great point. And it's almost like it's as uh, if you're, you have some sort of addiction, and you've got your thing to remind you to like stay clean or whatever, and she's not there. <laughs> I don't know if he knows this as obviously as that, but maybe at some level he does recognize that. I was quite amazed, however, that he let her go so quickly, so easily, and then even said, "I don't want her to end up like Betty." Mm. Betty was a very, you know, very depressed, very upset human being. Um, Her whole life was that house and the kids, and it it was not a challenge for her. I mean, when she got to go into New York City with Don, it was a big deal for her. Mm. So he realizes that. I thought that was very interesting that either they're trying to show that he's matured or that society has imposed upon him the idea that women are more than just housewives. Now, of course, 
you know, I'm sure everybody's saying, well, yeah, but isn't he the one who promoted Peggy? Yes, he is. So he has a little bit more of a progressive streak in him than than a lot of the other men at, at Sterling Cooper Draper Price. Uh, I was just astounded that he said, yeah, I want you to be happy. Go ahead. Go try acting. Because you remember that whole thing where Betty modeled for Coca-Cola. I didn't think he was crazy about Betty modeling again. Didn't he sort of torpedo that? Wasn't that how that, if my memory serves? Uh, like, yeah. She... Yeah. I mean, yeah. He saw those pictures. He saw the pictures of Betty in, in that set up with uh, another man, another family, frankly. And yeah, so he did torpedo it. He called up the agency and said, no, I'm not coming. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, Betty lost the gig. All right. You brought up Peggy. I thought there was an interesting scene with her and was it Joan? Mm-hmm. And again, this often happens where characters, not the primary characters, and Joan is a prime character, but a major character, where she delivers a line that is very truthful, where she tells Peggy that that's the kind of girl Dawn marries when she talks about Megan. Mm. It's one of those statements where the character gets a real bit of clarity. I mean, she knew this already. and mm. It just goes to the deep and intricate, uh, interesting relationship that she has with Dawn where she, like so many, was one of his secretaries, but talented enough to get a job, not either sexy or attractive enough for him to take as a mistress. So she still seeks his approval. She still seeks, in a way, his sort of lifestyle and his success. And is she in love with him? Yeah, and on some level, is, is, think she is. does she feel yeah. like she, why am I not good enough? But and there is Joan yeah. telling her in, in plain language, that's the kind of girl Don marries. Yeah, and then even in this episode, we see Peggy as Don's wife. Once Megan leaves and Peggy has to do that commercial with him, or that pitch at least with him at General Foods, and plays Megan's part, and she plays it very badly. Yeah. She forgets her lines. To me, one of the highlights of the episode was when Dennis Haskins comes in, the former Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> and he's so heavy, he's, he looks like he could be Bayside High School himself. He's so big. He's gotten so heavy. Most people didn't even recognize him. Uh, I, I did. I didn't. But I know a lot of people didn't. Hmm. Actually, I kind of like these cameos where we had the, the Gilmore Girl, Alexis Bledel, and and now Dennis Haskins. It kind of makes Mad Men just that much more fun. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the two spouses. First time that Don does it, it's so natural. Megan is doing the lines. He's doing the lines. And the second time with Peggy, it's awkward and it's not fluid. It's not natural. You know, as a side note, as an actor, for you to act purposefully badly, I think is really hard. I I I think so too. I think that is really, to see them not act well on purpose, I think it's really <laughs> difficult. And I give them huge props for that because it, you buy that she's just not as good. Whatever it is that makes her, maybe she's intimidated by Don or, or she's upset because Megan left and she knows Don blames her or whatever, but you get that. That scene was just really well done. It was very well done. I love that. Just try it. Just taste it. You know, she couldn't get the line right. And it it was so funny to watch how seamlessly Megan and Don did it in front of the staff. Once again, poor Ken is sitting there just going, holy crap. Why do I have to put up with this crap? I just want to go write my short stories and get published. And that's giving me grief. Speaking of great scenes. 
Peggy answering the phone like it's a pizzeria. <laughs> yes, it's, yes. I, I, I forgot yeah. what she called it, but that was just hilarious. Yeah, that was a good it's pizza a, house, I think she called yeah, it. Yeah, pizza, pizza house. Pizza house. <laughs> so we were talking about not a good idea, Pete bringing up the life insurance, which, by the way, could be foreshadowing, too, because he, he made a point of talking about, and it pays on suicide, and going to the guy's house. Yep. Okay, really, Pete? Why are you making her feel that uncomfortable? But Pete wants what Pete wants. Oh, yeah. He, he was forcing the game right there, for sure. So Stan says a line that I wonder if it's resonating with Peggy again. And that was, he's like, Megan had that great success with Heinz, but he's like, for what? Heinz baked beans. Obviously, he's not getting a lot of fulfillment from his job. And I think, again, it goes back to what are these people being fulfilled by? They're getting success, but at the end of the day, they're not like, you know, writing something that's really going to change the world other than get people to purchase these products. And in some cases, these products are pretty banal. They're baked beans or they're what have you. Or laxatives. Or laxatives or these, you know, just any number of these things. You know, are they sitting there? This is We are what we are. We're a middle-rung agency. We aren't going to scramble anymore to make sure we make our payroll, but we're never going to be incredibly successful either. And so it's just going to be every day working on beans. Can't be very creative rewarding. It's not going to win you too many more Clios. What do you do? Where do you go? And maybe that's going to be the story that we're pushing to the end. You know, where do we go next and how do you keep doing this? Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is that, you know, when everybody's like Pete is, is not happy with what he has, even though he has a lot, and Don isn't always happy with what he has, and he has a lot, again, it gets back to what advertising is all about, which is trying to make people unhappy with what they have so they, they get more things. It's, it's sort of a materialistic ethos that more and more and more and more makes you happy, whereas most religions tell you, that's not true. Mm-hmm. That material things come and go, but family, spirituality, friendships, relationships endure. It's sort of the, an emptiness. Maybe they're trying to portray the American emptiness that that starts to take hold in the '60s and starts to pervade the '70s and the '80s, and, and here we are now. And it seems like we're kind of returning to a, a materialistic culture with the internet. You know, which is kind of which, making us buy, 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 get more yeah. stuff. Everybody needs to have a, an iPhone and an iPad. And if you don't, you know, life has passed you by and this sort of thing. And you're also going back to the elevator shaft, the emptiness. Yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. so is that our theme? We'll have to see. I, I am looking forward to where it goes. And it appears we may get a little more Betty this time in the upcoming episodes with the Mother's Day episode would be very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this is the first episode where I wasn't in love with it. And maybe mm-hmm. because I'm not a big Pete fan and he was a big part of the episode. And mm-hmm. <sighs> I just can't stand Pete. <laughs> the end, I thought it was also too where she does draw the little heart to mm-hmm. him and then rolls down the window. I'm like, is she toying with him? And she had said, right, this is a pleasant memory for us. Mm-hmm. Let's right. move on. I'm not sure what message she was trying to send to Pete. I'm not sure what message it was she was sending, but the one that he received, he enjoyed the message, clearly. Like, all he wants is someone to say, I can't work right now, but it's more than just 
that little thing for me. And so was it truly a message that she meant or was it just to placate him for that time? But whatever it was, it worked because he got that little kind of happy expression on his face for just a moment. That's what he needed. He just needed to, in some way, hear that it was something for her too, even though right now she's stuck, as I guess yeah, he is Yeah, but wasn't it, wasn't it also back to the whole theme of women having the power and women determining what's going to happen? She determined what's going right. to happen. Right, which also, which right another, line, another line actually, which kind of tied into that as well was, I don't know if you caught it, but Don talking with someone and they're asking about children and he said, oh, well, Megan says, you know, no more kids. You know, we have the three is enough. and We have three already. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was uh, key as well because she had basically made it clear that, you know, she, at this point in her life anyway, does not want any more. And so that's yeah. the way it's going to be. Did you notice, and I know this was certainly not just a uh, coincidence, that when Beth was driving home with Pete and she mentioned the key word hobo uh, when she was mentioning people in the city, did you catch that? Mm. Yes. That is a word that does not get just dropped into the script without some sort of intention behind it. Yeah. And it may not have anything directly to do, but it certainly reminds you about Don and uh, his past. Anytime that word pops up, I mean, that's a red flag about something. Indeed. Uh, Let's just close it up with the Beatles. I thought it was interesting. You know, they're like, oh, we can't afford the Beatles. We can't afford the Beatles. And I'm thinking the whole time. Are they going to close the end of the episode with the Beatles song? Because they just said how expensive it is. And what do you know? They actually do. I've read a little bit about this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, Matthew Weiner had said that he really felt that the show creatively needed a Beatles song sometime in the narrative because the Beatles were such a major part of that era. Right. So everyone's talked about how much money they had to pay and how many steps. I guess the reporting is a $250,000 to use the song. And he's kind of irritated by that. He says, you know, no one even talked about us using the Beach Boys. I wasn't made for this time. Now, we talked about the song in our podcast, but they had to pay for that song, too, to use it. Just the Beatles, this is very rare. They use their music in a television show. Isn't the whole Beatles catalog owned by Michael Jackson? Didn't he buy their whole catalog at some point? It was, yeah. While he, you know, while he was still alive. Now I think, I guess his estate probably well, His estate does. It, right? I mean, that's the thing. When he first bought it, that's the first time when Nike used Revolution mm-hmm. in their ads. I mean, that was the first time because up to that point they'd been like, no, we're not, no one's using our songs for anything. And then he bought the rights to the songs and started using them to get money from advertisers. So it's not unheard of for them to be heard in either a show or a movie, but they are probably pretty expensive. Yeah. yeah and, and it is not one of my favorite songs <laughs> of the Beatles by far. Right. I did love the seeing the album and her telling Don, Hey, start with this one. As we talked about, Don was not impressed. <laughs> it's like, no. uh, uh yeah, what trying is to show this? that he was a little bit, he's old. He's much older than she is. Yes. I did love, once again, Ken, when they come and play the song that the clients want to use and that's mm. going to be, I guess, for the shindig commercial, you right. know, and he's sitting there just bobbing his head, snapping his fingers like, hey, yes, this is a great song. And <laughs> they're looking like, no, this isn't. This is horrible. <laughs> so a very funny uh, use of music. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, a good 
place to end. Again, you can find us on iTunes and on Facebook. If you look up Scotch and Smokes, our website is madcast.net. If you have any comments, please be sure to stop by and leave them there. And until next time, the bar is open. Thanks again for subscribing. Bye-bye. Happy Mother's Day. Yes, bye all. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>